As we come now before the Word of God, if you'd like to read with me, I'll be speaking from the book of Hebrews in chapter 1. So you can turn to Hebrews in chapter 1. If you're reading out of a pew Bible, the translation is slightly different than mine, but it's essentially the same. And as always, before we read, would you please pray with me? Lord Almighty, would you help us now to taste the goodness of your word? Would you help us to see here your eternal power? And as we see this, Lord, would you cause us to trust you? These things are right and good and true. Would you guide me and us now by your spirit? Help us to see and to believe. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the book of Hebrews in chapter 1. I want to read here these first three verses. So we'll begin in verse 1. Long ago... At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is God's word. Now, for us here, if you've been with us on a regular basis, this is the third week... <laughs> of looking at the same opening three verses of Hebrews. We'll do one more week with these same verses uh, before we move on to the rest of the chapter. And we're doing this because the author of Hebrews has jam-packed a lot of really valuable things here for us. So it's a little bit like a mom, I suppose, or a dad, but moms tend to be the ones who often do these things. A mom who's packing a lunchbox for her kid, and so she pulls out the brown paper sack and, and wants to make sure that, that the child has all the foods they need. So we've got, you know, the sandwich, and maybe an orange, maybe a little snack cake at the end, if you're lucky, and, and some milk, or at least maybe some milk money, uh, but she's giving us the things we need. So the author here now is putting these foods in our lunchbox, giving us the things we need to really know who God is. So, so far in these past few weeks, we have looked at the fact here that God has spoken to us. Now in these last days, especially by the final word, which is his son, Jesus. And we looked at how God has appeared to us. 
in the radiance or the exact imprint of his nature, which is Jesus. Now, this morning, we're going to look at how he interacts with us in the world through Jesus. And this will have pretty big implications for how we live. Let me give us an example to set us up here. This weekend, a few of us, the elders, we were uh, in Kansas City for Presbytery. If you don't know, Presbytery is the gathering uh, of several elders in a region of churches. So ours is in Missouri, and we all gather and, and conduct business and worship together and hold one another accountable to various things. And so part of our Presbytery gatherings, these happen every, every three months, part of that is, is a worship service. It's not just to do business, we come to worship God. And, and so it's always exciting for me, especially as a pastor, to get to go into someone else's church and, and worship service, uh, because I don't have to do anything but sit and listen and, and follow along and sing and praise in that way. Uh, but their, their music leaders were kind of tuning their instruments beforehand. There were just two of them. Uh, one was a man who had a guitar, and another was a young woman who had a banjo. And she was tuning these things, and I love the sound of a banjo. It's not just like the, the fast picking, kind of a slow uh, musical banjo. It was just beautiful to me. It was really rich worship. And as they began the service, the two of them s stood up to lead us then in song. And the woman who had the banjo began grabbing in front of her. It, it, it looked like she was just reaching for something. It reminded me of, I thought that she was grabbing, you know, a spider web that always, you know, something's there. It feels like something I could not see, but that she is reaching at. Hold that image in your mind because I want to come back to that later. Let me set us up and give us a little bit of context here that will help make sense of these sorts of things in Hebrews. When we first look at these verses in the book of Hebrews, the very beginning, we hear the words, long ago, at many times, and in many ways. The author is taking us way back. It, it almost reminds me of the, you know, once upon a time almost poetic in that way. And, and this is not a made-up story, of course. These are true things anchored in real history. But the Bible is a story. It's one big, coherent, connected story. Uh, it's not just a bunch of little snippets. So Daniel in the lion's den fits into the larger story of God. Joseph and his multicolored coat fits into the bigger story of God. Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection is part of this story of God. There's a plot line then from Genesis to Revelation about God, his glory, his people, and his world. It all then fits together, and the author of Hebrews is now tying into that by going all the way back to the beginning. In fact, uh, he starts to talk about creation here, but he puts a slightly different spin on it, if we can say it that way. There's a plot twist in creation here. 
if we're looking in the Bible about where to find the, uh, uh, the act of creation, even if you're not a regular reader of the Bible, you can probably guess where we might find that. Uh, we turn to the front. Uh, not everything is in exact chronological order in the Bible, but this part is. And so uh, we can, if we're looking for creation, we find it in Genesis, the first book, right here in the first chapter. It starts like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's familiar to us. And as the writer goes on, verse 3, we read this. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And so on and so on. I won't read all of this. And the author of Hebrews now would say, yes. All of that is completely true. But now here's what I mean by the plot twist. The author of Hebrews is now linking Jesus to this act of creation. You can see it here. He says it here in these first verses at the end of verse 2. In these last days, this is verse 2, he, this is God the Father, has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Here's the, here's the phrase we want. Through whom also he created the world. In other words... Jesus is the one who carries out the act of creation. And we want to put that in our lunchbox. Wrap it up like a sandwich. Jesus is the one who carries out the act of creation. Notice here the author does not say that Jesus was created. Nowhere in the Bible does, is Jesus discussed as being created. We know it, there was a point in time at which Jesus was born into the world, but long before that, in all eternity, Jesus was the creator of the world. And the author of Hebrews is not the only one to say this. Uh, if some of these things sound redundant uh, to you in some of the readings, well, I apologize. I want you to know that I'm not making these things up. This is from the Bible. So John, in chapter 1, starts his gospel uh, of Jesus like this. He says, uh, John 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word. We're now talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that has been made. In other words, Jesus is the maker of everything. Nothing is apart from his making. And Paul says a similar thing in Colossians chapter 1. If I can get there. Here we go. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 16, he says this, For by him, he's now talking about Jesus, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus made it all. The things you can see, and the things you can't see. Even all the spiritual beings are mentioned here as being created by Jesus. 
So the author of Hebrews now is writing along this same plot line, that Jesus is the agent or the actor in all creation. So my translation says at the end of verse 2 that uh, through him, through whom also he created the world. Some translations say through whom also he created the universe. The Greek word there for, for world, if we get a little, let me get a little Greek nerdy here, the Greek word there in the original is Ion. And the word Ion in the New Testament is most often translated in other places as the ages. And uh, we get the sense of the word, actually, we say it, an English translation of it, every Sunday when we pray the Lord's Prayer. It's at the very end of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, for, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, or, and the glory I own forever. That's the word here. So what Jesus created is not just the globe, it's not just the dirt under your feet, or even just all the stars in the sky. Jesus created the forever. All of space and time. And you get what this means then, don't you? If Jesus is the maker of everything, Jesus is the owner of everything. Jesus is Lord of all. So just as a side note here to help you out, it helps me at least, if someone comes up to you and says, you know, Jesus never said that he's God. And in a sense, that's technically true, in a sense. If you go on Google or on your Bible app, if you spin through and you're the millennial like I am or the next generation, whatever that's called, and you type in the phrase, quote, Jesus is God, you'll come up with zero returns. Because that phrase by itself is not in the scriptures. But do not let that disturb you. Don't let that cause you to doubt the Bible writers are telling us that Jesus is one with the Father, that Jesus is divine. They're just using a Hebrew-Greek language way to do that. That while, in a sense, Jesus is distinct from the Father, he's called here the Son or the Heir, there's also a sense in which he is one with the Father in a way that no one else is. Now, Jesus, as one with the Father, is the one then who, through whom the Father created the forever. And as big of a claim as that is, that Christ would be the one through whom all things are created, creation here is the easy part. At least compared to what the author is going to say about him and the world next. And this is what I really want us to focus on for this Sunday. Uh, so look now with me at verse 3. The author has just told us that Jesus is the one through whom God created the world. Verse 3 now, it's talking about Jesus. He's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. We talked about that last, uh, last time or two weeks ago. Now, here's the last part of the line. He, 
Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus upholds it. It is not just that he created the world. He upholds it. The word literally here means he upholds all. He upholds everything. Now, I say that this upholding part is harder than, than the act of creation, not because Jesus can't handle it. Uh, this is not the sculpture of the Greek god Atlas, you know, the one I'm talking about, uh, the usually naked uh, guy, because those sorts of sculptures are, usually are, and he's got the world on his back sort of like this, and, and, and his, his back is all hunched and weighed down under the weight, and his neck is kind of uh, turned crooked off to the side so he can hold it all. That's not the way that Jesus upholds the universe. I, I, I say, well, <laughs> Jesus here, there's no, there's no indication that there's ever a, a, even a sweat broken in this. This is not a struggle for it. In fact, it says he upholds all these things by the word of his power. But I say that this upholding is harder than creation just because there's more to it. It is happening across time. It is an ongoing act. So when I read the word uphold in my head, I think about... Um, the Olympians uh, who do uh, deadlifts, you know what I'm talking about? They've got the giant, like hundreds of pounds, and, and they pick it up and stand there, and they grit, and, uh, and then they drop it, and it's, it's really impressive looking. But that's what I think when I think of upholding, You're just kind of holding on to it. But the idea here is closer to the idea of carrying the universe. Jesus is carrying the universe by the word of his power, and that is a really big deal. Look at it this way. Mamas, if you gave birth to a child, that's a big deal. <laughs> a huge deal. I don't want to undermine that. You go, uh, yes, it was hard, okay? But I'm going to guess that giving birth to a child was nothing compared to the experience of trying to raise that child. It is a big deal to create life. It is an even bigger deal to uphold life. Or in the business world, you're starting a company, it is a big deal to create a company. It's a bigger deal to uphold a company. Just ask Blockbuster. Or, or it's a big deal to create a New Year's resolution. It's a much bigger deal to uphold that New Year's resolution. Because this is usually about the time in the year when I start to struggle with mine, or that they die out. You get the point here. Jesus created the world, and that is huge. But even bigger, Jesus upholds the world, and he is still doing that right now. This view of God is very different 
from the way many people think about God. There are many people who might acknowledge God as some sort of designer or or creator, but then that's about it. God is otherwise uninvolved with the world, much less upholding it or interacting with it. And this approach to God is called deism, or it's the divine watchmaker approach. So this clock, if you're hungry, you've probably been watching it for a little while. Uh, but, But this clock, if you pause and listen, you can hear that? Tick, tick, tick. That happens because every Sunday morning, early in the morning, uh, I come in here and do various things in the sanctuary, and one of them is to wind up that clock. It's actually an old wind-up clock, which I think is cool. Uh, but I stick the key in, in that little slot and turn it and turn it, and it coils these springs real tight that makes the clock run. But I am not actively making the clock go right now. I've, I've just stuck in the key, turned it, and then left it alone. Deism would say that God turns the key of the world and then leaves it alone to just do what it does until time eventually runs out. And while some people might prefer this idea of God, because in that scenario, God leaves us alone to do as we please, I think you can also see just how empty that approach is. That we would just be a bunch of springs that are wound up until time runs out. The author of Hebrews says this idea of a deistic God is completely untrue. The world was not just created by God and then upheld by springs. The world was created through Christ and is continually upheld by Christ. Every second, every tick-tock, 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 all of it, all of those moments, Christ is carrying Everyone, He leaves nothing just spring-loaded. This impacts us in a lot of ways, but it will also, it impacts us especially in the way we uh, see the world through the sciences. So there's no reason why, why a Christian couldn't or shouldn't love the sciences. Uh, you know, we're, we're glad these are a gift of God, that he gives us categories of, of way to think about the ways that he upholds the universe. But, but we, we should not ever allow the sciences by themselves to be wind-up explanations of the universe apart from God's hand. So when we think of biology... You know, the the billions, trillions of species from elephants to ants and plants and all their intrinsic, intrinsic, uh, intricate cells, everything that makes us work as biological people, all of that continually upheld by Jesus. 
or when we think about meteorology, ways that we try at least to track the weather. Every drop of rain, every mist of cloud, every flake of snow, every gust of wind, all of it continually upheld by Jesus. Or gravity, the thing that's you know, holding you onto your pew right now. Christ is the one holding onto gravity and you. And, and physics, which is far beyond, all these are far beyond me, but light particles and waves and all these things that I don't understand. You know, God said, let there be light. And through Christ, there was light. And then Christ continued to carry and uphold that light. Every particle, every wave, every beam. Hebrews says that Christ upholds all things. And we should never make the mistake of thinking that Jesus only upholds the big stuff and leaves the small things to kind of sort themselves out. I mean, we think that sometimes because that's the way I would do it. That's the way I would have to do it because I don't have enough energy or power or time to do everything. So, so I've got to delegate or set up some systems or just kind of let some things go. But, but Jesus does not operate like that. When, when Jesus tells us that every hair of your head is numbered, it's not because he's counting them. One, two, three. Like there's some sort of strange hair tally going on. Each hair of your head is numbered because Christ is upholding each one. All of this is part of his upholding of the universe from the biggest of the big to the smallest of the small. You know this song, at least I hope you do. My childhood. He's got the whole world in his hands. You know this one? Don't make me sing it. He's got the whole world in his hands. The song gets it right. It starts with, he's got the whole world. And then it kind of pieces apart things. He's got the wind and the rain in his hands. He's got the wind and the rain. And then you and me, brother or sister, Sometimes there's two verses for that. You and me, brother, in his hands. And then, he's got the little tiny baby in his hands. The song gets it. He's got the whole world, and he's got the little tiny baby all in his hands. And that is a great comfort to us. Now, in saying this, I recognize that this may bring up some challenging questions for us. If it's true that Christ holds all things in his hand, if he upholds the wind and the rain, then why are there destructive hurricanes? If it's true that Christ upholds you and me, brother, then why do I struggle so much with sin and suffering? If it's true that Christ upholds the little tiny baby, 
Why do some die before they're born? Why in some states are they allowed to be aborted in the womb? And we might, we might start to wonder then, has God failed to uphold these things? Has God forgotten about these things? Has God lost his grip? These are heavy but good questions. And they deserve a more thorough response than I am able to address here and, here and now. If, if these things are heavy for you right now, I would love to sit and talk with you in person. But for now, let me just say this. If you are wrestling with these sorts of things, do not abandon Jesus as you wrestle These things are complex, and we don't understand all of them according to God's wisdom. But there is no more solid place for you to stand than on the truth that Jesus upholds all things, even you, by the word of his power. And if you believe that, if you trust that, if you hold on to that truth, the truth that Christ upholds all things will set you free. You remember the girl with the bang banjo? She's standing up in front of us getting ready to lead worship and she's reaching out, grabbing what I think might be a, some sort of spider web or something I can't see, and then I realize it's not because I can't see it. It's because she can't. She was looking for her microphone, and she was completely blind. So she was trying to find the microphone in front of her, reaching out for this. Her um, fellow musician helped her eventually, but as I watched this, and then she began to play and sing all of my memory, uh, leading us then in worship. At first I was in awe. Wow, it's impressive. But then I was put to shame. And so I started to realize for me just how much I rely upon being upheld by aspects of my own self. How I think I'm upheld by my ability to see. Upheld by my own knowledge. Upheld by my house or my bank account. Upheld by the support of people who love me. Upheld by my skills, my job. These things I thought were the beams that hold me up. And I'm thankful for all of these things, but on their own, they cannot uphold me. Because those things will eventually run out. If you're even looking to me to uphold you, I will eventually fail you. 
But God is not that way. Isaiah the prophet says it this way. Just a single verse in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. A familiar verse. Hold on to this. He says, fear not. This is the Lord speaking. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Put that in your lunchbox. It's as if Christ is saying to us here, in my wisdom, in my love, in my goodness to you, if I took your eyesight from you, I will still be the one to uphold you. If I took your health, your mobility, I will still uphold you. If I took your wife, your husband, your family from you, I will still be the one to uphold you. And if I took everything you have and think you are, I will be the one to uphold you. That's true. The fact that Christ upholds all things is an incredible freedom. It not only enables us to stand, it enables us to serve and follow Jesus and to encourage others to do the same. Would you pray with me? Mm, Lord, thank you for being this kind of God who doesn't just create and spin us off into the universe like a top, but that you uphold us in every moment. Help us to see and to believe that, to trust the word of your power, because you are God. Thank you for upholding us, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.